2: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey.
0: And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling hypnotised because the word hypnotic is something that I associate with today's guest, partly because since my childhood she is a kind of figure that has followed through my life really like I've followed a lot of the work that she's made um, different albums that she's done through the decades and I've always been completely hypnotized by her when I was a kid Mm -hmm. I remember just thinking she was this kind of like otherworldly magical being and she kind of taught me so much I still do think that I do still think that you still think that yeah but she taught me so much when I was making music about sort of staying open and about combining different influences, and also not limiting yourself, and being open-minded to all kinds of po- creative possibilities.
2: I think always experimenting is the yes. kind of vibe we get from this artist.
0: She's an artist, a musician, a composer, a filmmaker, a fiction a writer, a poet,
2: sculptor, an inventor.
0: I mean, it's endless. So yeah, I'm super excited to welcome our guest. Welcome to Talk Art, Laurie, Laurie Anderson. Anderson. Hello, you
1: too. <laughs> How Hi. are you?
2: We're really good, huh? really good.
1: Where are you in the world? I'm on the eastern shore of Long Island, near the ocean.
0: Where are you? I'm I'm also by the ocean in a seaside town in England called Margate.
1: It's oh, raining. Oh, Margate! I love Margate. Have you been there? Oh, have you been to Margate? Yes. I've been to Margate. Yes, I have. Oh wow! When? Cool. Mm-hmm. When? I think a couple of times when I was back and forth to Brighton a couple time, so. Amazing. uh, I was just exploring around here and there. Ah. (laughs) I was seacoasting. What I'd really loved, a place I'd love to go is Cornwall, and I've never been there. I'm dreaming of that place.
0: Yeah, it's amazing there as well, and huge skies there and romantic kind of landscape. Yes. Yeah, there's another musician actually, Tori Amos lives down there, and I think she's got a big recording studio there for that reason, Uh, because the nature's so expansive and and amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Russell, well, yeah. where are you? You're I'm, in London, I'm in London. How are things in London? Ah, uh,
2: you know, it's all a bit... Uh, you know. The way,
0: <laughs> you know, it's pretty dramatic. You know. The
2: world's dramatic at the moment, isn't it? So, uh, we're, just, we're just getting on with it. What's, what's brilliant, though, is that I, I have three dogs here with me and I know that you are a, a huge dog lover and I've been listening to uh, the soundtrack for Heart of a Dog constantly which has been incredibly moving and actually my dogs have responded to it and really enjoyed the sounds Aww. of that as well but i just want to bond with you over dogs before we kick off with the art because that feels <laughs> okay. so important to you
1: yeah Where,
2: what who's your dog well i i've three dogs i have got rocky a frenchie and then uh, i've got two basset hounds one called archie and one called cooper but you you had a rat terrier called lola bell uh
1: huh yeah and now i have little will
2: little will uh-huh.
1: another mm-hmm. rat terrier? No, no, he's a terrier. He's a border terrier, mm-hmm. and he had a cameo in the Heart of a Dog film a few years ago. Ah. Um he was the the dog who was walking in Japanese clogs along a rainy street. <laughs> oh. It was a. You might not have noticed him. It was a quite a quite a short cameo, but he, <laughs> but
2: he was good. He was good at what he did. Yeah.
1: Well, he did it. Let's say. You know, he did it. Was he good at it? I don't know.
2: I I like the fact that the dogs in your life seem to have human skills because Lola Bell played the piano and finger-painted and then Little Will is now walking in clogs.
1: No, no, I'm not looking for trick dogs. I mean, that sort of makes me sick, really, you know. I just, I only, uh, Lola Bell only started playing the piano and painting because um, she went blind and kind of out of the blue just and she was a very very social dog she loved seeing people in New York on the street and she knew hundreds of people and when she went blind um, she just froze she would not move she wouldn't go to her drink her water we had to carry her to the water dish carry her outside to pee carry her on walks carry her for a breath of fresh air everything and I was panicking I was like what am i going to do and so we called a trainer and the trainer said, uh, oh, I, I I taught my dogs to play piano. And I said, good for you. I mean, <laughs> but why? I mean, uh, it's like, she said, well, I, you know, let me just see if that, if that helps. And so we got keyboards and put them on the floor and taught her how to turn them on and play. And, you know, I mean, kind of bang, really bang on the piano, more or less like I was playing the same style, uh-huh. not really knowing what, peck, you know, hunting and pecking. So. What happened was people would come over in the middle of the day to the studio and she would do a little concert. <laughs> and and um, she was so excited about that because that was her way of, like, you know, being in touch with people again and having them go, lullaby, hello, you know, and, and it was like, you know, music saved her life. And I think, you know, a lot of musicians would say the same, you know. they mm. It's a way to be with others, she was pretty good player and she was consistent let's say <laughs> and then the painting stuff was just another thing that we did that was a little bit silly but she loved the process of smearing stuff around and and mostly you know the praise like a lot of artists who just like love to get a, some positive feedback, they're like, oh, I love your work. You
0: know,
2: so, <laughs> she uh, said, that's she, a oh, the dog.
1: She... <laughs> do you yeah, have the work was... in your
2: house? Do you live with it?
1: Uh, I do have a couple things. Um, but you know what I have uh, also is some paintings by chimps. Because last year, right before the pandemic hit, I was invited to go to Florida to this chimp preserve. And there are several... Maybe about eight hundred chimps who were rescued from labs. So all of these chimps had been experimented on, and they were just mm-hmm. not in good shape when they were sent to this place. And they all live on islands with no contact from humans, except humans take food to them in boats. And there also there is a painting program for them there. I know that doesn't sound like they're doing it on on their own. Particularly, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not actually, but. Um, that was, um, I, I was invited down as, I, I don't know, I guess somebody who thinks animals should do stuff like that. I don't, but it, it's wonderful when they do because I um, uh, it was really fun to see what these chimps were coming up with. I yeah. mean, they they were using brushes and looking at things. They weren't exactly, you know, squinting and wearing berets or something like that, but they were making stuff that was mm kind of beautiful. So, I don't know. Do you think animals can make art?
2: Well, it feels like they can. They're obviously abstract. I'm sure they're not, they're not photorealism they're creating, but you it's you expression, know, isn't it? I don't
1: know. <laughs> and lots of colour and action. But, I, you know, did you ever see any of those elephants yes. um, in Thailand who paint self-portraits? And, yeah, they paint animals with trunks and holding flowers, a little bit corny, but, you know, maybe not for an elephant. So... They are um, realistic painters, more or less. So who knows? I mean, I, it's not like they've gotten a big chance to develop their work, you know. Yeah. Uh, so who knows what would happen if they did a lot of things.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. it's amazing because your dog is completely inspired. The movie Heart of a Dog and the soundtrack, as I've been listening to, which is beautiful, but a lot of people will know you because of your music is the way that you've been able to express um, storytelling and language through through and words, which are the fundamentals of your practice, it seems, through music.
1: Right. Yeah. So, but I also, am while I'm a musician, I, I'm really not so much of a singer. I mean, I sing sometimes, but I'm really fascinated with um, talking rhythms. And I just recently decided to, because I have a big show, a couple of big art shows coming up. I had to Rip my studio apart to find all this old stuff, and and I did, and it's really chaotic right now. It's just like a thousand things on every surface, mm. and I came across some really old work that I used to do with something called talking orchestras, and I had all these people um, talking in various rhythmic patterns, and it was, and I, I thought, why didn't I ever do that again? That sounds like a, such a good idea. So, if anybody who's listening, you know. Uh, wants to give that a shot. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. You just write some stuff, and people talk, and you and you listen to how they, you know, you listen to the musical rhythms and pitches of language, and maybe maybe make a kind of a score that that reflects that. You know, so it's not like ah, singing. It's it's really like the the music of talking. You know, and uh, so I, I don't. You know, sometimes you do things, and they just go into these dead ends. That was one of them. I I never did. I. I did some music for cars, too, once, and that that was a one-off as well. <laughs> you know, what do you mean, really? music for cars? Yeah, well, I was uh, living in a really little Vermont town in a commune with a bunch of hippies. It was so, I loved those days so much. <laughs> Communes have got to come back. They're so, so much fun. Oh, and wow. the way this little town worked was um, every Sunday night the town band would give a little concert, and it was, you know, just sort of super jolly you know, band music, you know, and people would come drive into town and park around the band shell in the center of town, but they wouldn't get out of their cars. They just sat in their cars while they were listening to the music. And then at the end of each um, song, they would honk their horns, like... And they were having so much fun doing this. And also, I realized that I really liked this sound of the applause better than the sound of the music. So I thought... What if um, we reversed that and the audience sat in the band shell and the orchestra was cars? So I didn't have a lot to do that summer, so I started to audition cars for this piece, and I wrote a piece for cars and motorcycles and trucks, different kind of pitches and lengths of horns. Absolutely nobody in town wanted to have anything to do with it. They were like, no way. And and then I thought, okay, how can I sell? I know, I can make it like competitive, so I put up signs, like, in the grocery store and in the general store and just, like, little spots around town. Does your car honk and C-sharp? If it does, <laughs> we might consider it as part of the, I mean, you might get a spot in the orchestra. They're like, oh, whoa, I wonder. And we'll be auditioning cars in the parking lot of Walmarts, and they all showed up then. That is because it was suddenly like a contest. And was their car good enough to get into the <laughs> orchestra? And it was really fun to do, actually. I, gosh, I haven't thought of this in so long. None of them read music, none, nobody in the orchestra, uh, really. And, and mostly they were, you know, like farmers. And not that farmers don't play music, but these farmers didn't. And so, um, <laughs> so I had a kind of color score and your car... Was if your car was red, I was the conductor and you would honk your horn as long as I held one hand over the red color block of the score, mm-hmm. that, like that. And it, it actually sounded magnificent. So cool. We had maybe 30 cars and maybe 20 or 25 trucks. We had some farm vehicles, like a couple of tractors. Oh, wow! We had a lot of motorcycles. We had a lot of motorcycles. And, they, and we also, so we did some rhythmic things with revving because these guys really love to, like, rev their motors. And it sounded good.
0: What
2: did you call it? Did it, did it have a title?
1: It wasn't very unimaginative. It was Concert for car horns. Wow. Uh, that was the name of it. <laughs> I'm
2: going to have to look that up. This is incredible.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It's it was so interesting fun. to me, Laurie, because, you know, if you look
0: back, at, I've been listening to a lot of the older records and when you think of like a lot of the things that you've brought in to the music that you make, whether it be like bagpipes or dogs and frogs and birds. And, you know, I've grown up like listening to your records and I feel like you've always had this open-mindedness and a kind of very inclusive approach where like the whole of society, like whether it be a car like you're talking about or an animal or can be included in your work. Was that something that's always felt natural to you or is it something that you've kind of like intellectually sort of thought about and then decided to approach your work in that way?
1: You know, I, I don't think I've thought about it for a minute. Um, right. I was always kind of making things out of what was around. And maybe it was that, that I didn't ever actually learn the rules about how to do things, so I just didn't, didn't have them to refer to So we just make <laughs> stuff up. And, um, yeah, when, when I was a kid, we, we did all kinds of stuff that we had to make from nothing. So mm-hmm. maybe it's something about that, instead of joining a big structure or, or joining a music world, joining, um, going to music school, this kind of thing um, mm-hmm. that I didn't do. And uh, I did go to art school, though, so I, <laughs> I started out as, as a painter. So I did get caught in that world a little bit. Mm-hmm. uh the reason i left it really was because of money because it was like getting to be so kind of corporate you know like the art world was getting to be very connected to uh money and mm-hmm. and i i really didn't like that at all that was i mean knowing collectors and and schmoozing was my idea of an absolute nightmare and i know you right. don't have to do that necessarily you know if you're a painter but some People do have to do that, and and I, I just it was unbearable to me, so I, I just skipped it. Right. That's actually when I started to do music more.
2: But it feels like you move seamlessly between the music world and the fine art world, and it feels like there's this balance that you have a strong foothold in both of them. It, what when it when you got into the both of the worlds, and you it feels like you're very unique in that position. As, as a woman, did you, did you find it like there was a more welcoming world for you, art or music, or was it an experience that both of them felt like they had their own sort of welcoming or distancing factors?
1: I think I was always a, a floater between uh, worlds. Yeah. And it, the art world that I grew up in, in the art world of the 70s, it was very egalitarian. It was, um, we were just, uh, there was no difference in terms of how men and women were perceived as artists, really. And that was also because money was not involved. Nobody was planning to make a living from this, ever. Mm. Never. So we were just all kind of wearing the same. It was a little bit leftover from the 60s of everyone's kind of workers. We all had trucks. We drove around. We did construction work to make money. We um helped each other it was it was very, very egalitarian and mm. there was it was a mix of um, men and women, but that was never a foreground really. it was because we were already all outsiders, so that was what bound us together was being uh, outside of of systems and then what happened was uh, kind of real estate really it, real estate created that community we had a lot of cheap lofts, and so we all started living there and and then, as we fixed up all those lofts, other people were like, "Hmm, why are we going to buy that from you?" And then, then the other thing that happened was um, touring, and so we all started to our scene broke up because we got opportunities to work. Uh, for me, particularly in Germany and Italy, were mm. were places so I did a lot of things, and I just became an expat. I just did most of my work ninety five percent of my work elsewhere, not in New York, and. And then, um, as it happens, you know, scenes shift and they shift back. And, and so, uh, but that was the tide that, that swept me off mm. um, at that point somewhere else and, and into different kinds of scenes. And, and the experimental scene in Germany at that time and, and Italy was very mixed with the visual scene. So we mm. often did concerts in galleries. And so there wasn't a very thick wall between these things. There would be fads like operas, and we were a group of, like in this, I'm talking about Phil Glass, um, Trisha Brown, the dancer, mm-hmm. Dickie Landry, horn player, uh, Gene Heisting, sculptor, Richard Serra, sculpture, and we're all just kind of drifting around and helping each other do stuff, and without kind of going, that's sculpture, I can't do that. We would just all do it. Then I remember one year when everybody was doing, making an opera, you just walked on the street and go, How's your opera? Mine's fine, how's yours? You know? <laughs> so it, was, it was just like that. It was, it was, you could do anything you felt like it uh, because there was no structure. I heard an
0: amazing story of you writing um, 500 letters to the European kind of spaces to set up a tour for yourself <laughs> when you didn't even have the tour yet, but you wrote to them saying, I'm coming on a world tour. And, oh, yes. um, and then slowly <laughs> it began to grow in Europe. It's so
1: fascinating. Well, you've got to start somewhere. And so I recommend that uh, for as a method for those of you who are artisan, maybe, or let's say you're musicians or, or whatever, and you want to uh, get your work out, um, just uh, make it up. You know, if you don't have a tour, uh, just kind of invent one. and see if anyone wants to book book you, you know, and then just go. Don't let uh, lack of invitation stop you.
2: you (laughs) Just turn up anyway.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another
2: cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig <laughs> amazing, I, I read that you felt like at the height of fame, like an anthropologist like you were from you were on the inside but you were on the outside looking in
1: yeah, I guess i I feel that now and and I treasure that point of view because it it makes me more observant uh, i 'm not worried about people looking at me, but i 'm interested in trying to see you, you know what what what's making other people uh do what they do and also what is it that they're doing so so there's always something to look at and and I guess I'm not like so much a documentary sort of person so it, it it's um the way I absorb it is is that it just kind of becomes part of what I'm doing in some other weirder way you know I'm not somebody who goes oh there there are people who are Oh God! Just saw a wonderful movie called the truffle Hunters they're truffle hunters I think i'd like to to make a uh, a really realistic picture of what they do. I would uh just absorb it in a different way, although now that i 'm saying that that it's just like kind of poor shit because um <laughs> the truffle hunters is is a movie that's on the face of it, a documentary, but is really uh, it looks like a series of Dutch paintings. Um, it's and it and it's about a a, a really odd sort of hunting slash sport uh, slash idiosyncratic way to be in the world of of being with it. Actually, it's being with uh, with your dog. It's a it's a film about being with your dog because you hunt alone with your dog, and you really need a dog who can smell a truffle twenty feet under the ground and you have to have the patience to kind of go with their whims you know wow their instincts
2: I thought I didn't know dogs got troubles. I always thought it was a the pigs I thought it was I thought it pigs, was pigs. Yeah. yeah Oh
1: wow. I know maybe they they are like that somewhere but this is a, a I forget which part of Italy but it's a um, a film about one small province that where they're Quite competitive. Um, oh, I bet.
2: So much money in truffles, isn't there? It like sounds God.
1: fascinating. Yeah, And it's also, it also sounds quite absurd
0: in a way. And I think there's a thread in your own work which, which looks at this kind of absurdity of social interaction or the way that, in particular, the American social structures, you know, are set up in a way. And I, I know that in your record in 2010, Homeland, you spoke about things like the financial crash and you, you kind of had lyrics that were very specifically you know relating to those topics what what have you been working on recently i'm really fascinated to kind of know what you're doing at the moment if you look at the situation america is in and also the rest of the world i kind of feel like coming to you is a bit like talking to the person that will know profit
1: <laughs> yes. yeah oh, no way i'm sorry guys i wish...
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but out of interest though what
1: what what have you been working on though? Um, oh, you know, uh, well, I I spent a lot of the um, pandemic, uh, the early part of it, doing a radio show called Party in the Bardo, and this was really fun. It was a two-hour show, and I'd always dreamed to live in San Francisco and have like a late-night radio show. Well, really early morning, like four a.m., like before wow. drive time, yeah. just when when people are in this kind of half asleep stage, very vulnerable, and they're just kind of like, ah, you know, and and just being able to kind of uh, slide into that state of mind and talk and play music. So that's what I did. It was uh, through um, WESU in uh, Middletown, Connecticut, where I happened to be an artist in residence. I said, well, there's there's no residence, so I'm going to do a radio show. And, and what it turned out to be was really like portraits like of people I only did 10 shows although that was like 20 hours of radio and and kind of produced stuff so it was like you know we'd have a long conversation and then I would kind of add things and goof around with it and each was with a friend and so they would I just said tell me your 15 most important most wonderful pieces of music that you couldn't live without and many people just kind of kind of could do that off the top of their heads. But I didn't realize until I was halfway through the series that I was making portraits of these people, really, mm. because they, they were just um, so much like the choices that they made. <laughs> and so now I've gotten into the habit of asking friends that I didn't get around to working with, please send me your 15 pieces of essential music. And then I listened to them and I... And I really learned so much about that person, and I love I, that, that was and completely. I was these were not meant to be sonic portraits of people, but they really turned out to be that. And we would just sort of talk in this super drifty way about, you know, middle of the night way of this and that, and just because of the when everything slows down, it was just a, such a luxurious thing to do. I have a lot of other things now that are beginning to heat up as we see. Somewhere over on the horizon, uh, the world of jobs coming back. <laughs> Somewhere out there, I think. In the pandemic yeah. Is, is there one out there? Uh, what do
0: you I think? I so. Yeah, definitely. There has to be. Yes, yeah, got to be. Um, gotta and it's, be. it's interesting for us as well, because doing the podcast has been very similar as a way of continuing to be, you know, creative in this, in this difficult time, in a way, and connecting people and also lifting spirits.
2: Can we talk about your uh, audio drag? Because so I think if anyone was to describe the sound of Laurie Anderson, it's like a pitch shifting and voice filters, like electronic sound that goes through uh, the, the music and 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 the the sounds that you make. Is that something that's still a very much part of your practice?
1: You know, it is, and I I really do write differently when I have when I use that voice and when I say write, I see, I mean speak. You know, I'm just like someone who's uh, got a tape recorder and, or some kind of way to, to register stuff and, and just um, talking rather than writing and then speaking because I think you can hear that. You can hear someone reading, and I, I never really liked that. I just like people talking, you know, so that's how I would start instead. And so uh, also it's defined, um, you know, a different point of view. And I'm working, one of the things I'm doing now is re- Working on a new version of the Bible. And that's uh, a kind of a really interesting project that I'm doing with an Australian group of um, artificial intelligence uh, machines. And wow. uh, oh I'm not going to say more about it. Because that sounds like a going, long
2: project, though. The Bible is not a short book. <laughs>
1: uh, well, uh, compared to some contracts, it's like really <laughs> short. <laughs> that's true. You know, that I is just, true. I just signed a book trunk contract that was like made the Bible look brief Um, (laughs) wow but yeah and actually you
0: you 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 made your own book as well in 2018 which i adore called all the things i lost in the flood and it was a kind of like look back to yes and yeah and it's got four decades of your kind of archive what was it like making that book and is it something now you've done it you like was it was it difficult to do that book because I imagine it would have been it's so complex
1: yeah yeah it was and I mean looking back on things it's always a feeling of horror but also <laughs> you know uh, kind of like you see some threads that are interesting and you think oh I could have done it this way or that way I'm working now on a series of lectures that have a sort of same trying to find the thread uh, theme and there are going mm. to be six of those it's called the Norton lectures and they Start in fe- in February at Harvard, and right? It's very intimidating because you know that the people who did these things are like Borges, and you know, uh, you know. So it's not the kind of thing you can write the night before. So I'm really trying to think of it seriously, and it's supposed to be about music. But again, you know, everything is music, you know, in in many ways. And you could if with if you use that as your theme, you know, then you can talk about. Voices, time, uh, loneliness, space, intervals, memory, expectation—how to be in the present. It could be all about meditation. It can be anything. So, um, it, it will be anything probably. <laughs> so that's one thing. And then it's an I have other couple projects. I have a big. Exhibition at the Hirshhorn Museum in Washington. Wow, great! Wow, that was supposed to open last April, and then it was postponed until June, and then September, and then April, and then now it's going to be next fall, maybe. (laughs) You know, you know how things are. Everyone's just on in this kind of. Isn't it wild to just be in this uh, kind of uh,
2: living history,
1: ever present zone? It's oh yeah, it's also we are living in, in, a, in historical a very...
2: times yeah they'll be teaching this in yeah. schools
1: yeah they will how do you feel about it
2: well how do we feel what about this the present time just yeah it's just it just all feels surreal
1: yeah what are, what are you going to take from it
2: i personally will take the forced slowing down as something that i will hope to continue yeah. that's something that i've really appreciated yeah. uh, and how much culture has really come to the forefront of importance for humanity and how many people have turned yeah. to culture at this point of desperation and never the, the people hopefully will never <laughs> take take that for granted that's my hopes and dreams right. going forwards
0: i think for me it's been about community actually and there's something about having lived in this very small seaside town with mainly mm-hmm. other artists and creative people because i run the gallery here and we, we have this community here it's changed it's totally changed my life and oh, that's we also so agree yeah, and I think small is big is the other thing I've, I've thought about because very small moments can actually be the most important things. And I think exactly. not, not running around the world and you know, doing all these things because you can still communicate from a very small, intimate place, which is what we do now. Yeah. And I remember um, Stephen Fry, who we interviewed during this year, saying that life is short, but art is long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I take yeah. that as well. Amazing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we're going to ask you a couple of questions that we ask every guest that comes on, Laurie. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, you could take any work of art in the world for yourself nicely, you're not going to get any trouble, it's absolutely fine, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, um, let's see, a work of art, not just a... a um, it could be music, you, a how, building, how... a
2: song, it could be like a, a physical work of art, a sculpture, yeah.
1: Okay, go. Um, I know that's not a very good... Uh, or, or doable theft what is <laughs> it what is it the cave system what is it the caves of lascaux what's that uh, ancient cave paintings and uh they're um, in france yeah yeah and i think they're largely underwater now or they're going to be um and it's a bulky theft. It's like, mm. you know, it's like you can't <laughs> steal a park or something like that. It's hard to.
2: That feels typical for you, though, like taking on the Bible, taking, the, <laughs> taking a whole cave system. <laughs> no. It feels like you're not going small yeah, I'll on take this. A...
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll take a rubbing of a cave, one of the cave paintings. I'll be fine with that.
0: Yeah, we
2: can that. A start. rubbing,
1: okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can definitely sort that. We will do our best,
0: though, to help. The, the other question we ask every guest is: is, what is your favourite colour?
1: Oh, oh gosh. Um, this is the kind of question that I, I, I always draw a complete blank. I mean, I mean, it's because I would have to say for what, you know, my favorite yeah. color for a sky. Oh, that's even harder, actually, because yeah. there, there's, is there a color that skies have never been? No. Maybe, I guess, plaid isn't a color. But I've seen a plaid sky also. Mm. Um, A plaid sky that would be good. Yeah, haven't you seen one? You know, when it's just like, uh, yeah, I know the, what you mean, yeah.
0: like crisscross
1: patterns. Yeah, purple and blue, and you know, we have some super skies here. And and uh, one of the things about the pandemic is we pay so much attention to it now. You know, uh, being outside. So okay, my favorite color is red, but oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's I love red. Red anything? Why why red? Um, it gets my attention and. It feels like a heart, and it feels like, um, uh, like you don't see it so much. Like I'm, I'm looking out in the woods right now, out of my window, and I see a red bicycle um, parked in the in the back. But that there's everything else is green, gray, white, brown, black. You know, red's a kind of alarming color it gets your mm. attention. I guess <laughs> that's what I like about yeah. it.
2: Yeah. yeah, caution, look out. When you have a song that's, um, I just want to, because people listening will, obviously everyone knows your 1981 super hit, Oh Superman, that had huge mainstream success. But when you have a song like that, that is like 39 years old now, does there ever get a point where you performed it so many times that you're completely over it? And you can't do it ever again, or is, this, or is that or is that piece something that is so embedded in you and, and part of you that you could always do it and always happy to perform it?
1: They've only probably performed it since the eighties about maybe four times. Oh wow! Um,
2: By choice.
1: I just didn't think about it. I mean, I'm not I'm not someone who has like a catalog that I do things uh, <laughs> when you. Yeah. So I played it in the 80s when I wrote it. And then the next time I played it in public probably was a, a, um, a concert. It's called Live at Town Hall. And it was uh, just I think like four days after 9-11. And it seemed to be very pertinent. So I, I put it together for that. And then I played it again in um, maybe about five years ago. Uh, So it's not something that's, you know, in my (laughs) repertoire. I don't have a repertoire, really. I usually just play what I'm working on at at the moment, you know.
0: You know, I was listening to some of the early kind of projects that you did prior to that. So like Born Never Asked, which I love that title so much from 1978. And then It's Cold Outside from 81 and oh, the, the, yeah. they, they were kind of like a precursor to that whole kind of big science era like your first album can you remember when you first did those projects because they they have this amazing kind of soul to them you know when you listen to them as like it feels magical going back and listening to those
1: you know some of it i do like to listen to and as i said pulling my studio apart i'm fi- i found the score to the to this piece called it's called outside for an orchestra score and um it was kind of eerie seeing it, and also I found scores for a lot of films that I used to do um, music films, and I, I would like animate the films and uh, note by note for the music. So, for example, like let's say there's a, I would black out frames in sixteen millimeter films to create the a cadence of the the tempo of the of the music and the and the notes as well, the duration of the notes. So. You, You'd, a 16th note would be like four flame, frames are blacked out and a, and a quarter note would be, you know, eight. And so they were bound completely together. So in a way, um, I, it was interesting to see, wow, I always got those things. Um, I was always right in the middle of picture and sound. You know, it just always seemed to, to be the same for me. Um, I have to go now because... Um, I'm catching a train and the train's. St- no problem. <laughs> Don't well, thank stop. you so much. It has been such a
0: privilege to speak with you again. Every time we've spoken to you, it's such a joy. Oh, I've, I've
1: really had thank a good you. time. Thank yeah. you so much. Hopefully, we can meet yeah. in
2: person after all this at some point.
1: Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. Okay, we yes. would Let's love to that. <laughs> bye. 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 Bye.
2: Well, that was nice, wasn't it, Rob? That was, um, that was quite a short episode this week because, uh, as we heard, Laurie had to catch a train. But there was so much more to talk about uh, with oh, Laurie's
0: practice. You know what? Work. I'm sure we can do it again, like with her. Like, I, I want to do it in person because I just, that's the second time we've spoken to her. We, we first spoke yeah. to her when.
2: And the first time Kate she had to go early her. as well, I think. Yeah, <laughs> she I know, cuts up yeah. before. She's a very oh. busy, busy, busy artist. But I wanted to say to her, there was a quote that I read where it's like she said that every work she's ever made, the main objective of it or the main feeling of it is about disembodiment and Mm. that for me felt really amazing especially when you hear like we've just done an interview and we're hearing her voice it feels very discombobulating it's very spiritual her work Mm. and her voice Mm. her sound feels very otherworldly doesn't it
0: Totally. And I think that's what, that's what I meant when I said about hypnotised, because there's something yeah. about the way she communicates, and even her physicality. Because if you think back to that era, like the early 80s, we mm. were kids, obviously, but I remember growing up looking at people like Kate Bush, and then later people like uh, Patti Smith, who also mm. you know had collaborated with people that um, Laurie collaborated with. And they, mm. they, they all have this kind of incredible way of the way that they use their body, the way they present themselves in photography and then on the Mm. moving image with the whole MTV generation, instead Mm. of going a really traditional, like, cliche kind of sexuality kind of pop route, they, they, they kind of created these strange videos with like really weird narratives and you know and mm. it, it really sticks out as being something special that when you look back mm. now it still really resonates like Absolutely. super timeless well i've just because...
2: been watching yeah, it is timeless but i've just been watching this virtual reality film that laurie made called the chalk room which was at mass mocha in 2017 2018 mm. which is this incredible story where you fly through with this whole vr world which is all words and it's, you're flying through emails to mm-hmm. this uh, like in imagined chakra in the middle, and I just mm-hmm. think it, and it's it's amazing and it's again it's discombobulating and disembodiment is that a word? But you <laughs> kind of love the fact that she's always experimenting and it makes me think of like the way that David Hockney took up the iPad. It isn't as advanced as virtual reality but that's an artist that is always looking to progress their practice. So as a painter, as as an image maker, he was like, pick up the iPad. Whereas Laurie's, like channeling, like talking about that car opera, she's just constantly inspired and constantly experimenting and expressing all these themes throughout her work of beauty, time, reality, memory. She does that constantly, and that is why I think she's such an important, credible artist.
0: Totally. And there's such an open-minded approach to everything she does. And that whole car opera really reminded me of a story of Björk's um, son, who heard a car alarm going off and thought it was like an animal, like thought it might be like a bird or a dinosaur, the car alarm. Mm. And the idea that like from a child's perspective, um, you know, these sounds have potential. And I feel like she has that, 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 that kind of perspective. It's not, mm. it's not like childish, but it's childlike. And she kind of, mm. she loves that whole, you know, inclusive, the, the possibility in all, all sounds and all, mm. all things having their own kind of creativity. It's really interesting. Yeah. She also said that people used to call her a multimedia artist, and she would call herself that, but actually, it kind of meant nothing. But in meaning nothing, because if you think about multimedia, like everyone is multimedia, we're all doing different things yeah. all the way through our yeah. days. And she kind of said the meaningless of it was really like helpful to her because it just meant people stopped trying to tell her who she should be or, or trying or to put her in a box. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. she gave advice to artists saying, just call yourself a multimedia artist,
2: <laughs> and then you can do whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah, you you, you, you have got. Free. You can switch lines. No, I. Yeah. I I think overall, she's quoted as saying that she's creating through her work experiences that free you. So for us today, she's been an incredible guest, and I hope you've all enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Bye.
2: Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby.
0: Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by Jack Northover.
2: Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.
0: Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.
2: Planning for your next trip?